All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have Chad Foster on the Rise Together podcast. Chad, though he lost his eyesight as a teenager, did not let himself be stopped from becoming an executive for Red Hat, the world's largest open source software company, and in the midst of his journey, securing more than $45 billion in contracts throughout his career. Unbelievable. He happens to be the first blind graduate of the Harvard Business School Leadership Program and did what Oracle said could not be done. He built a software solution that created job opportunities for hundreds of millions of people. His direct and confident style combined with a go for it inspiring belief system, among other things, he is an avid downhill skier, that is not a joke, uh, has made him a high impact speaker for leaders at companies such as Google, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, GE, and Microsoft. Ah, I am ready for this conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chad Foster to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Welcome, Chad. Thank you, thank you for having me. So that was my attempt at introducing you, a little bit high level uh, as overviews go. What would you say, in your own words, for listeners who may not yet know of your story, uh, is a little bit more detail in your journey, what you have experienced in your life, and what your experience may afford them as listeners today? Yeah, so I've had a bit of a unique journey in my life. Growing up, I could play sports and I could see pretty well during the day, had some limitations at night. And in my teens, started to really understand the limitations of my eyesight. And eyesight started to fade when I was at the end of high school and really as I was getting into college. And then when I was in college, at about 19, 20, 21, 22, that whole process began at about 19, 20. And by the time I was 22, 23 years old, I could no longer see. I had to get a medical withdrawal from my major. I wanted to go into the medical field because I wanted to help other people, but then going blind, I wasn't even sure if I could help myself. And I had to really face the reality, my dark reality of what was possible, what was not possible. A lot of kids, you know, we ask children all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, college is a, is a time where that comes to fruition, but none of those children that we have say they want to grow up and be a blind person. So I had to really wrestle with my self-identity, what my hopes and dreams were for my future, and my basket of facts that were placed in front of me. And those basket of facts was the, you know, the simple idea that no longer could I see. And I needed to, to look at what was possible in the future. And then based on what was possible, what is it that I wanted to do? And so it started with having to relearn how to learn and then figuring out what path would I want to take moving forward. But it's been an interesting journey because growing up, I had a 
I wouldn't say a normal childhood, but it was relatively normal, but I was always learning the limitations of my eyesight. And it was sometimes in the dark or at dusk, I was learning the limitations of my eyesight, but I never really, I didn't know any better. So I just, I went full speed ahead with everything that I did. And my parents not wanting to limit me either, you know, they were told that they should put me in a special school for the blind. So instead they signed me up for soccer and let me play soccer because it had good natural lighting outdoors. And it, it was an area where I didn't have to worry about playing games at night. And so it was a, it was a nice fit for some of the limitations of my eyesight. And I was, I was always very active. And so needless to say, when you go through living life, being able to, to be very active and I, I played sports and I drove a car and then being confronted with this new reality that is, you know, being disabled. Um, it's it's a it's a very difficult period, and that certainly wasn't college. It was a very difficult period. Well, it's interesting because you are someone who defines themselves in some respects by pushing yourself and your limits into spaces where failure or not necessarily having it come as easy is something that you could learn from, that you, in taking the info, the intel that comes inside of experiences that you previously could handle, and now maybe could not as well, we're giving you some of the breadcrumbs and how to approach creating the kind of life and creating the kind of success that you were hoping for. Can you talk a little bit about the idea of failing at great things in order to understand how far we can stretch ourselves in how we become whatever we do, regardless of the adversity that we confront? Definitely. I believe that if you're not failing from time to time, then you're not aiming high enough. So if you're constantly playing it safe and you never fail, that may feel comfortable, but life begins outside of our comfort zone and growth takes place outside of our comfort zone. And if you're the kind of person who doesn't like the way discomfort feels, you know, you're probably not going to end up with a lot of growth. You're not ever really going to expand your comfort zone. And that's going to lead to, I think, a less fulfilling life. And I think I've, I've had a bit of a, you know, my, my life has been an experiment in living life outside of my comfort zone. So growing up, when I was three or four years old, my parents took me to Duke University because they noticed in dark areas I had a hard time seeing. And they diagnosed me with retinitis pigmentosa. So growing up as a kid, I was bumping into things. I was going to the hospital a lot because I was learning the limitations of my eyesight. Yeah, just countless things happened, countless injuries, because I always always ran at 110%, regardless of, you know, of my circumstances. And, and really, that whole time was, was a, a very physically uncomfortable time. So there was a lot of discomfort physically. And then, as you can imagine, middle school, high school, socially, it was uncomfortable. And then I get into college, and then it gets very uncomfortable as I go blind and realize that everything that I had known, this visual world that I had lived, had vanished. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I would never see another sunset, that I would never see my future wife, and I would never look at my future children's faces. And it had to come to, to grips with that. And that was a really difficult period. And then after that, I ended up having a, a profound insight that changed my life when I got my first guide dog. And I'll talk more about that here in a, in a bit, because it was, for me, it was transformational. 
But even then, once I put things on the right track, it didn't mean I was living life inside my comfort zone. Everything has continued to be outside of my comfort zone, whether it's walking with a 110-pound German Shepherd across university campus or going into a job interview with a German Shepherd or getting on a plane and flying across the United States or now it's I fly, well, not in COVID years, but all over Asia and Europe to countries where I don't speak the language and I don't know the country that well. And I'm flying with just me and my guide dog and I'm getting up at 5 a.m. to go to go for my workout in a hotel where I've never been to try and use the equipment. Because for me, working out is very important. All of those things initially were outside of my comfort zone. But I've found that as I continue to face my fears and step through the fear and get comfortable with the discomfort, my comfort zone has expanded. And now I ski, which the first time I heard about someone telling me, do you want to go ski or asking me, do you want to go ski? I thought, wow, that doesn't sound like a very wise idea. But come to find out they have tools and ski pros and all of these different things that make it much safer. And now, you know, last year I skied a double black diamond and I've only been skiing for six years and and come to find out that my blindness actually offers me a real advantage when I go skiing because I'm not distracted by what my eyes are telling me. When we go skiing, you know, what your eyes tell you can create a lot of fear. And my friends actually said when we were skiing last year in Snowmass, we were on Cirque Headwall and they said, look, you just should be thankful you can't see what's around us because it's horrifying. It was a very intimidating (laughs) sight. But I wasn't looking at any of that. I was focused on the next maneuver, which was left or right. And so as we continue to push the boundaries of our comfort zone incrementally, you know, we create confidence and, and facing those fears gives us courage that we can take on increasingly more difficult tasks while having the, the confidence that we can be successful with that. I mean, I know you've talked about something that I find myself believing so strongly in. It feels like it ties into what you've just talked about so perfectly. And that's the ability to tell ourselves a positive story that can pull us out of whatever difficult thing we're going through, rather than telling ourselves a story of unluckiness or misfortune. you talk just a little bit about how this thought occurred to you, why you feel it's so important today, this idea of casting a vision of hope rather than despair or uh, taking on some kind of a victim's mentality? Yeah, so I'm a huge believer in that mindset. And in fact, I think that is the very heart of resilience. And so resilience lies in the way that we choose to attach meaning to events in our lives. And the stories we tell ourselves, they can either limit us or they can propel us forward. And this occurred to me when I was losing my eyesight. And I wasn't, I don't think I was consciously aware of it at the time. You know, I was trying to to make it through this very difficult period. And and now I can talk about it with a lot of clarity. Whereas at the time when you're going through the trauma, there's not as much clarity. But one thing I knew at the time was I was very young. I was in my early 20s and I could continue to sit around and ruminate about all the bad things and all the, the unfortunate outcomes of my situation. I could do that. And I think a lot of people would find that understandable. But what would that change for me if I chose to do that? The only one who would suffer if I chose to tell myself negative stories would be me. I would be the one who would be penalized for that. And so I decided, you know, at, at 22, 23 years old, 
assuming that I live a relatively long and healthy life, that's a lot of negativity. That's a lot of whining. And I just, I can't stomach that. I'm, I'm an optimist. I had an unfortunate thing happen. So I decided that, you know what? I've got a lot of life to live. I'm not ready to throw in the towel. I still have this fire deep down inside of me that burned. And I wasn't going to live life in misery. And so instead of that, I chose to tell myself a better story. I chose to tell myself a story that this actually happened to me because I'm one of the few people on the planet with the strength and toughness to overcome it and use it as a platform to help other people. Now, if I chose to tell myself that I was really unfortunate and luck, that could be true. But the other story is just as true. And when we start telling ourselves a story like this happened to you, Chad, because you're one of the few people who can deal with it and then overcome it and make it look good and help people with it, all of a sudden you've taken this perceived struggle and you've reframed it into a strength, meaning the way that I look at my situation is it happened to me because I'm strong enough. And when you start telling yourself a story of I'm facing this adversity because I'm strong enough to deal with it and overcome it and use it as an advantage to help other people, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. All of a sudden, you start looking at other things that happen to you. It doesn't have to be blindness. It can be anything on your path. It could be a, a career event. It could be a, an academic event. It could be a personal event that is uh, that that that's a difficult situation. All of a sudden, you start to look at those things differently too. Once you've been telling yourself a story of this happened to me because I'm strong enough to deal with it and I can help people with it, that starts to affect other areas of your life and your thinking. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where all of a sudden you've learned that the mental aspects of it, it it's almost like muscle memory. It, you develop a very resilient mindset to where no matter what happens to you, you have the confidence, the courage, and the conviction that you can navigate around it with more happiness and more success than you otherwise would have had you approached it with a negative one. Yeah. I mean, we are, we are storytellers. Humanity has us telling stories. And if you tell a positive story, you will find evidence of that positive story in your search during the day. In the same way that if you tell yourself a negative story, you'll find evidence of that negativity. You can have your hypothesis confirmed either way, uh, as much as especially when you're dealing with unforeseen circumstances that you would not have hoped for. It's sometimes easier said than done to say, just strap on that mindset and mentality of this happening for you and how you can create good from it and you being strong enough to handle it. But when you're able to, you will have, as you say, whether it's self-fulfilling or just the signs of that evidence presenting themselves, you'll find them if you go looking for them. I could not agree more. I'm curious as someone who, as you say, is, you know, different as it were, you're working through life with a disability. How do you deal with people putting what they believe to be your limitations as barriers to what they think you're capable of before you've had a chance to prove yourself. I mean, I, I, I assume, and maybe I shouldn't even assume this, that people underestimate what you have a capacity or capability for because of your blindness. How do, how do you handle that? Or is it just something that you're going to let your work speak for itself? Well, it's, it's understandable, I think. It's unfortunate, and it's also understandable. And yes, it it can happen. I think it happens probably with less frequency now than it did when I was first starting off before I could, I could actually, you know, create some 
some sustainable results. And, and now you know, my results do help me quite a bit in those conversations. But I've had in my journey over 20 years of life experience in the mainstream majority and another over 20 years of experience in a disabled minority group. And so the journey that I've been on, I've seen life from multiple vantage points. And so some of those questions that I get, you know, some of them have a breathtaking amount of ignorance and assumptions. And to be honest, some of them, I can actually understand why they ask those questions, because as I was going blind, I had some of those very same questions. How could I do X, Y, or Z? What am I going to do? And so I think it's really important, regardless of where we are on our journeys, to make sure that the, the person we're talking to, you know, they're probably not really trying to, to either set the bar too low or offend or anything like that. So it's really important to separate their intent from their impact. And so to try and empathize with that person and understand where they're coming from, because I believe we're all, you know, genetically speaking, we're very similar, we're 99.99% alike. And so the differences among us are really due to the collective experiences in our lives. And so I believe that it's really about meeting people where they are and not where we assume they should be when we have those conversations and really try and empathize with the person so that we can we can try to understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish. And so that really takes focusing on the content of the message and the character of the person and how they're trying to show up versus maybe some of the unintended consequences that their limited life experiences have taught them. And ironically, my blindness allows me to do that better than before because I'm not distracted by you know what people are wearing. Everybody could be wearing, you know, they could be totally naked and I would never know. So ironically, my blindness allows me to focus on the person more than ever and, and the message and really try and show up with a curious mind with a little bit of humility and, and really try and separate that intent from impact so that so that we, we can have a common understanding. But you're right, you know, people do have a different level of expectations. Not everybody, but it, it, it does happen every now and then. Certainly it happened years ago more often than it happens now. Do you think in any way the way that you have found an ability to create a strength out of something that you would not have necessarily hoped for happening in your life gave you the kind of resilience to push back against no's that you've received inside of the business sector where you at Oracle or as an executive at Red Hat, we're able to do things that people said were not possible. I mean, I, I'm, I'm struck in particular by the Oracle conversation in that you created a solution that people said was not a possible thing. And there's a part of me that wonders if your personal circumstance in some ways created in you something that uniquely afforded you this perspective to not take no for an answer and, and not take the conventional wisdom of experts uh, suggesting that it wasn't a thing that could be done as a thing that you would try and figure out irrespective of what they thought. So certainly the situation that I've lived and the situation that a lot of people like myself face on a day-to-day -day basis requires a lot of resilience, requires a lot of tenacity and determination. And so that certainly is something that uh, has been honed over my life. And I know my, my parents, when I was a kid, they would say that I was extremely hard-headed, and now they just say I'm very determined. So I guess it's all about how you want to spin it. 
But the situation itself certainly makes you more determined because you have to put in so much more effort just to do everyday tasks that people take for granted. I had to learn how to write code to use a computer just to be able to effectively use one. And I had to learn how to do it without being able to see my computer screen. So that's not a lot that, you know, you don't have a lot of people who have to go through something like that. But with Oracle in particular, I, I didn't know what, I, what was not supposed to be possible when I did it. I had a friend of mine, I used to work with at Accenture. He called me and asked me if I could take a look at a system for one of their customers because they had a blind employee who was not able to do his job. And so I, I talked to him and took a look at the system and spent several months trying to figure it out. It was a little bit complicated. I had to tie several different technical components together that was very atypical, but this guy needed to do his job. And so I was the one responsible for, for figuring out whether or not he could continue to be gainfully employed in his role. And so I, I figured it out in a, in a few months. And so a year or so later, I saw a message on one of the message boards that Oracle uh, was working with a customer, uh, this one customer, large, large uh, company in Canada, and they needed someone who could come in and take a look at their system. And I replied back to the message board and said, of course, I can take a look at it. I've done this before. And they were surprised because they said Oracle had told them that it couldn't be done. And, and so there were lots of conversations that took place. We ended up getting on a phone call when they, they finally disclosed that Oracle said it couldn't be done. But I brought my client with me who had actually used the code that I had written a couple of years before, and he had been using it successfully for the last you know, year and a half, two years. And so they, when, when they had told me that it wasn't possible, I just, I mean, that was already sort of after the fact. I didn't know that it wasn't supposed to be possible. So I guess the ignorance kind of helped me out there, but certainly the obstacles that I face and that people in my situation face on a day-to-day -day basis reinforce the determination because it just, it does take more effort to live in this life. But you know what, I always talk about the more difficult the task, the more rewarding and fulfilling it is when you finally complete it. So true. So, so true. You talk about something on your social media that I find really interesting, and that's the idea of the sphere of influence. Some things are out of our control and other things are completely dependent on our actions. Can you talk just a little bit about this idea and how we can use this to our advantage? So the sphere of influence is something that ties back to the stories that we tell ourselves. And when we're telling ourselves stories, we have to think about the things that are inside our sphere of influence and the things that are outside our sphere of influence. And so the things outside our sphere of influence, for me, it's the fact that I went blind when I was in my 20s. It's the fact that I was going blind at the dawn of the information age. It's the fact that I was born in the United States, the land of opportunity, one of the wealthiest nations on earth. It's the fact that I was born into a, a good family who could help me and, and take care of me and how I chose to look at all these things. I didn't control any of those things. Those were cards that life just dealt to me. But how I chose to look at those things really affected my outlook on life and my vision for greatness. And when I, when I say that, I'm thinking of resilience really is about reimagining your vision of greatness for yourself. And that vision of greatness for yourself has to include things that are outside your sphere of influence. These things are unchangeable circumstances. No matter what you do, those things will never change. So if your vision of greatness for you never factors in your reality, the things that you cannot control, then it's not achievable. 
And so for me, I started looking at my vision of greatness for myself after I went blind and started surveying what was outside my sphere of influence. And my vision of greatness could then allow me to shine a light on some of the gaps for the things that were inside my sphere of influence, like going to college. I had to relearn how to learn without eyesight. And I was a very visual learner. That was obviously a pretty significant thing, having to relearn how to learn at 20 years old. Turns out I was a better blind student than sighted student. I ended up making the, the dean's list, made straight A's, and proceeded on to a, a very good academic career and then, then corporate career. And, but it's not because I was a genius. It's because that the situation forced me to really absorb the information. No longer could I scan and memorize things that I needed to do for a test. I would sit down and listen to each recorded lecture twice, and I would listen to the books on tape twice. And then I would prepare based upon that. And I was actually a much better student like that because I was really learning the information as opposed to memorizing the information. And so that was something that was within my sphere of influence. And then soon I ended up getting a degree from the University of Tennessee and got a job offer. And, and my vision at the time was to be a successful business person. And so the things that I could control, things like education and job and skills, all of, all of those things required effort, but they had to be consistent with my vision of greatness for myself, which must factor in those unchangeable facts, those unchangeable circumstances that fall outside our sphere. And so now my sphere has evolved to include using the lessons that I've learned to try and help people so that they can thrive in the face of their adversity. And that led to gaps for me personally. I had to learn how to give a motivational keynote presentation and write a book and reach and communicate with people more effectively. All of those things, though, I could learn as long as I, I kept it consistent with the things that I could not control, the, the situations that I faced on a day-to-day -day basis that no matter what, I could not change, which are the things that fall outside my sphere. Man, I just finished The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's uh, all about just releasing yourself, surrendering to today being the day that you can control, the things that you cannot control, acknowledging what they are, and focusing on the things that you actually can. It's been such a helpful thing in the midst of a time when it felt like there was some sense of control prior to 2020 coming along and reminding us of the absence of control that's, of course, always existed. But I love the idea of making peace with, accepting the things that are outside of your sphere of control, acknowledging that they exist, but then really focusing on those things that are inside because that's where you can bring the story, this vision that you have for your life to light by controlling the controllables. Right? You can't change yeah. the circumstances that sit outside of it. It's such a good thing to think about. And, and the, the vision of greatness, once you start reimagining what greatness looks like, like how can I make blind look good? As soon as I start imagining in my own brain how I can make blind look good, it starts moving me towards acceptance because now I'm painting this very bold vision for myself that inspires me to take action because it, it's going to take motivation and energy to work on all the gaps that we identify. All the, the things, the controls that you mentioned, the things that we can control, it's going to take energy and effort to move those things. But if we have an inspiring vision for ourselves, an inspiring vision of greatness, that gives us the motivation 
to, to chase and fill those gaps. And it's, it's really, really, really important that we, we have a bold enough vision that motivates us, right? But then obviously we'll have to have very tactical things that are achievable so that we can continue to make progress in pursuit of that vision. So good. You mentioned that among other things, you have been working on writing. I know you have a book coming out soon called Blind Ambition. Can you tell me a little bit about when you first started thinking about telling other people your story and what you hope people who read this book will take away from it? Yeah. So I, I always heard people tell me that I was inspiring when I would just kind of show up and not really try and do anything other than, you know, what I was supposed to be doing in my mind. And that it, it didn't feel right. It didn't, something felt off and I, I never really could put my finger on it. I think it's because I wasn't really, I didn't identify as an inspiring person. I hadn't yet accepted that in myself. And until I finally, I had a, an event when I was at, at Harvard Business School and, and I was learning authentic leadership from Bill George. He wrote the book, Discover Your True North. And I was in his class and it started really occurring to me that I had an opportunity to do something more meaningful with the journey that I've been on and really give back. I've, I've always been so focused on, you know, myself and my family and my career and trying to move that forward that I hadn't stopped to really think about the impact I could have more broadly until that class. And I was elected as the graduating speaker for our class while there at Harvard. And I saw firsthand, I had a feeling that I was going to be uh, the person chosen. And so I, I actually put some thought into it and prepared. And I saw for the first time firsthand just how powerfully I could help people if I were to think about doing it intentionally. And it was very, it was very moving for me too, because I, I could see how helpful it was for others. And it was a very inspiring moment to where I really started to contemplate how can I do this at a greater scale? And that obviously has led to me you know, giving more keynote presentations. I speak all over the world, but it also led to me thinking about putting my, my journey and the lessons learned down on paper because that can help me reach people in a way that's not otherwise possible. And so I've spent the last few years bringing blind ambition to life to where I talk about my journey and the lessons learned and how people can also move their mindset because I was very much a victim when blindness happened to me, but I learned how to move my mindset from victim to visionary, thinking more productively about my obstacles and turning those obstacles into opportunities. So that's really what the book's about. It's how can I bottle up the things that I've learned so that not everybody has to go blind to learn what I've learned. I've, I've talked often about how you find your why, how you find your purpose on this planet. And I've described it as this intersection between what you're good at, what you have passion for, and what you can afford this world in terms of light, impact. And it's, you know, like, I do think you have to be connected to what, you, what gets you out of bed in the morning and makes you feel excited to actually work on. Yep, I think you actually should be good at the thing that you go and do. But a missing component for so many people and in this pursuit for fulfillment is the impact piece and that you found a way to take your story and the ability to tell it in a way that can be used as a tool for anyone who's facing any kind of adversity is going to afford you the impact and connect you, I think, more solidly to the why, the why of your journey, but the why of your existence 
in a way that will hopefully afford you the kind of fulfillment that you deserve for uh, your willingness to even share it in the first place. So I like that. When, when you can when you can connect, one of the the more difficult periods in, in your life, like for me, for example, the struggle of going blind, turning that into this opportunity, it gives you so much more fulfillment and joy. It almost makes going blind worth it, right? And because all of a sudden, no longer am I going blind for just my journey in my life. I've learned that I can help so many people. So it gives much more value to this very static experience that that happened. And I guess it still does kind of happen, but I'm obviously in a much better place than I was when it happened to me 20 years ago, but it assigns new value to it. It gives you, you know, it gives you that motivation and and purpose and meaning. And just to, to sit here and tell you that it makes going blind worth it. I know it sounds bizarre to hear it. It felt very bizarre the first time that I said it. But that's how powerful meaning and attaching your purpose to your profession and your proficiency, like you said, that that great intersection where all those things collide is a beautiful place to be. Yeah, it's, you know, if you're going to have to go through it, making something meaningful come from it and affect as many people as possible in the storytelling around it makes it feel like something else. And, And so, you know, I can't underestimate for anyone who's listening Every one of you has a story. You've all been through something and how you can take that story and connect it with other people through an empathy bridge that you might create for them not feeling as alone or anything else, um, the, the, the better chance you're going to have to feel like there is something in the world of meaning and value that's come from having to have gone through the experience in the first place. What's your favorite part of the book? Um, my favorite part of the book... <laughs> I'd say the favorite part, my favorite part of the book is, is probably where I talk about, gosh, it's hard for me to say. Uh, I, I really like the, the the area about skiing in the book. I, I love to ski. I know that sounds bizarre to hear a blind guy say that he, he loves to ski, but I enjoy talking about it because I think skiing is such a great metaphor for life. We all have mountains in our lives. We all face fears in our lives. We've all been on the bunny slope in, in life. We've all tried to upgrade from the bunny slope to a green or, or a blue run, which is a steeper run. And then, you know, sometimes we try to get get a little bit more aggressive and, and get on a black, and sometimes we crash and fall. And, you know, skiers out there, there are a lot of skiers who never fall. And I actually think that's a shame. I think in order for us to grow, we have to be riding the edge of control. You know, when you're flirting with the edge where you have most of the control, but not all of it. That's when you're stretching yourself as a person. And that's true on the slopes. And that's true in life. It's riding that edge of control, making sure that you're safe. You're taking all the necessary precautions. You're not being reckless about it. But you're also not 100% in control. Because as we said earlier, we may have the illusion of control in our life. But 2020 has shown us that we're not ever 100% in control of our life. And so are we going to play it safe in life and risk what could happen? Or are we going to really chase after our goals and pursue those with fervor? You know, I went skiing the first time I was on the slope and I ended up, a friend of mine had asked me if I wanted to join him on the slope. And I said, 
it sounds a little nutty, but let me look into it. You know, they have ski guides who can help you with that. And my wife, understandably, was very uneasy about it. And so I get on the slopes. We go. We end up going skiing, and we're in Snowmass, Colorado. Third day, I'm there, and, and thank goodness my ski guide. She's very, she's very controlling and domineering because she needs it with my personality. Because I have, you know, I have a pretty domineering personality myself. And I told her, look, just don't let me get killed. I'm going to push a little bit, but don't let me get killed. Well, the last day I told her, look, we've not had, I've not had a really big wreck, which tells me we're not pushing hard enough. I want to know that I've really pushed myself. Well, that day I ended up having a really big wreck. It's called a yard sale. And I hurt my shoulder pretty badly. I fell on my shoulder and she could kind of tell something was off and I played it off. You know, I played it off like, yeah, it was okay. I ended up landing on a piece of equipment. I think it was my ski or my pole. And we get one or two more runs in and I fell on it again. And she said, look, you don't look right. Let's go get you checked out. There was a lot of pain. And so we get to the medic where they're getting ready to check in. And I didn't have my medical card on me. So I called my wife and I said, hey, how's it going, honey? And she said, well, going good. Are you having a good time? Yeah, having a good time. Everything's okay. And she said, well, what's going on? I said, well, do you have our Cigna card and the, the, the <laughs> number on the Cigna card? At this point, she completely flips out. She's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Are you okay? You know, and, and she was understandably very upset. That's the only time that I've ever really been injured on the mountain. I've had a few other little falls, but nothing that I ever had to go you know, seek medical attention for. But that little thing, and I ended up, I separated my shoulder, which I had done before. It wasn't the end of the world. It didn't feel great, but it wasn't the end of the world. But then consider that, you know, things can happen to you every day. You know, my dad was not long after that walking me in a gym. He had told me, you know, leave the dog at home, I'll guide you. And I thought, okay, it'll be easier that way. So he's guiding me out of the gym and just walks me into a wall and literally splits my head wide open. I had to go to this the hospital and get stitches. So if an accident can happen to me doing something as benign as going to the gym and working out with my dad, just as easily as it can happen to me when I'm on the slope doing something that thrills me and that I love, why would I ever stay at home? Why would I not live outside of my comfort zone? Why would I not push myself to live life? Because life isn't about how long we're here. It's about how fully we experience everything that life has to offer us. And I would much rather when I'm older know that I've I've tried many things and I've failed at some and I've succeeded at some I would much rather know that of myself than to wonder what my life could have been yeah so real so good all right if people are interested Chad in following you on social diving into your book going to any kind of resource that might exist inside of your space where can we direct listeners so they can find the book and pre-order at uh, blindambitionbook.com. We're available right now on, on Amazon. We're available Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Apple Books. It's available in digital, hardcover, and audio format. And we are, that's blindambitionbook.com. And that's my webpage, my website as well, can take you there. That is chadefoster.com. And there you'll find my social media handles, which for Facebook and Instagram is find Chad E. Foster. And for Twitter is Chad E. Foster. So all of that there is on chadefoster.com and blindambitionbook.com. Awesome. We will throw these links into our show notes. Chad, we finish every conversation with a single question. What 
single thing, what takeaway, what idea, what question, what actionable piece of advice might you leave our listeners with today that would afford them some degree of peace, some ability to become a better, bigger version of themselves? What is one single thing that they could do today that would change their lives for the better? Gain awareness of and choose your stories more wisely. Be intentional about the stories that you tell yourself. Be aware of what's playing in your mind and tell yourself stories that take you where you want to go. I love that. Chad Foster, thank you, sir. Uh, Such a pleasure meeting you and challenging us as the collective listenership to think differently about the kind of stories that we're telling, but also the way that anyone has a vote in what is possible for your life. You, sir, are an example of someone who is defining that for himself and in doing so, hopefully changing the way people think about what is possible in their lives as well. I really, really appreciate you being here today. I would like to encourage every single person listening to this podcast to take a picture of the show in the device that you are listening on to tag myself and Chad and tell every human being that you've ever met that they have to listen to this episode and to go out and get Chad's book. Ladies and gentlemen, recast the vision for what stories you are believing. Question them in real time. That is Chad's single piece of advice. I could not be a bigger advocate of it myself. Until next week, thank you for listening to the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.